So today, though, we are continuing our series we're calling The Creed. Uh, we've been saying the Apostles' Creed together for a number of weeks, actually for a long time now, leading up to this series, and then during this series, uh, we've been uh, proclaiming it together as well. Obviously, the Apostles' Creed is way bigger than our church and even our denomination, the Alliance. Uh, this is a historic creed of the big C global universal church over all of the time that it has existed since the New Testament. Um, it's no accident that we came out of Acts and then we went into this. Um, I thought that would be a good way to do it. So first we looked at, in the creed, just what it means to say, I believe. Uh, and then after that, we kind of start to break down the nature of who God is in, in the creed, in the Apostles' Creed in particular. So first we looked at the oneness of God uh, and the theological reality we call monotheism, that we believe that there's one God. We don't believe that there's multiple gods. We're not polytheists. Uh, we believe that there's one God, and as Christians, we've always believed that. Uh, even back into our Jewish heritage, right? Uh, and so we believe in one God. And then from there, last week, we looked at the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, that we do believe in one God, but that he has eternally existed in three persons. We talked through the main idea of the Trinity, and some of you, you hopefully will remember this image. Uh, this is by Andrei Rublev. It's an icon. It's very old. Uh, it's from the Russian Orthodox tradition, uh, more broadly, the Eastern Orthodox tradition, uh, if you were here, we talked a bunch about this last week. We, we talked through the artistic details of this icon, both here on, in this room on Sunday and actually Friday night, we talked a bunch about it as well. Uh, so shameless plug, you should come Fridays and dig deeper into that kind of stuff. Uh, we really had a great discussion Friday, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and so we, we did talk also on Friday about some of the more less than ideal ways that people try to explain uh, the Trinity over the centuries in the church. Here's a couple of Ones that maybe you heard in Sunday school that with a with in good faith with a good heart someone tried to explain a mystery that we can't fully explain. But here's a few analogies that aren't quite great. Uh, so the egg, right? Maybe you've heard this analogy for three and one. So it equates the Trinity with the shell, the yolk, and the egg whites, all composing one egg. There's a variation of this that might use a fruit like an apple, uh, where you see the skin of the apple, the meat of the apple, the seeds of the apple. Uh, but this is not like the Trinity because each component of the egg cannot be said to be an egg, right? An eggshell is not an egg. Egg whites are not an egg. Uh, and, and so usually also there's the problem that when you crack open an egg, you throw the shell away, you discard it because it's useless, and there's no part of God that's useless. Uh, so the components of an egg can be separate and are not equal in value. So this doesn't really work for the Trinity. Uh, another one, maybe a little bit better, water, right? Uh, compares the Trinity to steam, ice, and water, but the Trinity... Uh, is simultaneously three in one. While a molecule of water can be one of those three, and except maybe at one particular place, which I just found out Friday night, it can't be all three at once. It has to be either steam, water, or ice. Uh, other variations of this um, emphasize our relationships. I use this metaphor sometimes, and, and it kind of doesn't always work, uh, that a person like myself, right? I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a father. They express different types of relationships that flow from one person. Uh, and, and this kind of reflects one of the oldest heresies, if you're not careful, that God the Father kind of becomes God the Son, who becomes the Spirit. We would call this modalism. Uh, this is a popular kind of insidious version of the Trinity that even some popular teachers today will maybe unwittingly teach this way. So, But God is a unity of three persons. He's not one person with three expressions. That's not what the Trinity teaches. Okay? This one, pretty famous. 
the shamrock or the, the, the uh, clover, right? St. Patrick is kind of the originator of this analogy. Uh, and he de God definitely used this to reach people. So, uh, But he used the three leaves of the shamrock or the three-leaf clover to point to the three persons of the Trinity. Now, I would say I'm going to give him a little bit of grace for being kind of being relevant to the people he was reaching. Uh, this also falls short for the same reason as the egg and the apple. Each leaf is a component of this clover, the shamrock, but itself is not fully that thing. So the Trinity is one of those things that is a mystery that is beyond us and that God gave us the ability to understand that we can't fully understand it. So you can know God fully, but you can't know him exhaustively because you're finite and he's infinite, right? Now, here's an image. This was this kind of diagram was from the Middle Ages originally. Uh, this is pretty helpful, easy way to explain the Trinity. It highlights that the three persons of the Trinity, they're equal, they're united within the Godhead. Uh, we might call God himself the Godhead, and yet they remain distinct from one another. So uh, the Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son, and, and the Son is not the Father or the Spirit, right? And But they're all God. Uh, so this is a pretty helpful diagram. So if you're going to bust out a diagram when you're talking to someone about the Trinity, this is the one that is the best. Uh, it still kind of doesn't quite get there, uh, but that's kind of the point, right? And so uh, the most important reality uh, to remember when it comes to the mystery of God uh, as three in one is captured really by this icon. We've emphasized this a bunch, but that's this, that God, this three in one Trinity is inviting you into community with him that there's a seat open for you on the front of that table, uh, that you're invited in to participate in the life that God has with him in the world. And so that is really what I want you to come away with when you think about the doctrine of the Trinity. Yes, it's awesome. It's really fun to kind of kind of like break your own brain thinking about it. I enjoy that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, we throw our hands up and we say, what a beautiful mystery, and I'm invited to participate in it. And that's where we are able to, by faith, walk with them. So we have kind of this vertical understanding established. Um, and we have an understanding of who God is in that. But today, what we want to do is look at in the creed uh, how that kind of turns into horizontal implications of that understanding. So we're going to look at the phrase, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. So let me start with a good summary quote from a theologian. Uh, he says this about uh, the Trinity and our relationship in it. Because God is three persons in relationship, the only way we can realize the Imago Dei in humanity. Now, just to make sure we're all in on the conversation, nobody's left out. That word, that phrase I just said, Imago Dei, is a, is a Latin phrase that just basically is the translation for image of God carries with it that we have uniquely in creation, which makes us more important than anything else in creation, the image of God in us, right? So like super popular now for people to be like, my mom does this. She calls me on FaceTime and sees my dog in the background. It's like, my grand dog. No, mom, that's not your grandchild. That's a dog. Okay? Now, I get it. I love my pets, right? But they're not on the same level as people. But like we have a distinct... <clears throat> thing in us from God, which we call the Imago Dei, the image of God that makes us worthy of honor and respect no matter what we've done or who we are or what stage of life we're in, right? And so we alone in creation are made in God's image. So let me finish the quote. 
Because God is three persons in relationship, the only way that we can realize the Imago Dei in community, in humanity, is to form a community of persons in loving relationship. The church, then, is the community of God, not because it has, not only because it has been created by the triune God, but because the church shares in and participates in the triune community itself. So our God is a relational God. That at the core of who he is, he lives in community. And if we begin to look at what he does flowing out of that, this relational God forms a people, right? He always forms a people in the, in the pages of the scriptures. When he creates a people, that people, according to the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are the people who are in right relationship with him. Those who are in right relationship with him are called specifically in the Old Testament, all these different names are called God's friends, they're called the sons and daughters of God, they're called priests, they're called the assembly, the people of God, servants of God, the flock of God, subjects and citizens of the kingdom. All of those titles are put on the people of God as a group, not on one person, but on the people of God throughout the Old Testament. Then we move into the New Testament, and one of the big questions that gets asked to Jesus is how do you take everything that the Law and the Prophets said in the Old Testament, how do you take all that prophecy and all those rules, and how do you kind of boil them down and figure out what's the most important? And, and so to answer this, we can look at Mark 12, 28. You can turn there if you want, but I actually put them on the screen this week. And this is what it says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, okay? So this is a person who knows the law really well, comes up to Jesus, hearing him having a conversation, and asks him this question. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, sorry, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So simply put, Jesus is arguing here that the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God, right? With all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. So we have a holistic view of humanity. We are not just souls and not just bodies, but all of that together. And flowing out from that, there is a love for your neighbor as yourself. Like you have to connect these two ideas. The nature of community is based on the nature of God. We see this in the creed. We believe in one God who is in three persons and flowing out from that, we believe in the communion of saints in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, I've said this a few times, but that's one of the phrases in this creed. Uh, a few of you have asked me questions. I actually had a friend who's, uh, I didn't know this, doing a similar series to this. Uh, and he said he had someone in his church say, well, I'm just, I cannot say that word, Catholic. I, I just, I'm not going to say it. And so we, we had this conversation about how to help someone understand that we are not referencing uh, the Roman Catholic Church, right? So all my cards on the table, I'm not trying to convert you to Roman Catholicism. I'm as Protestant as they get, okay? That word Catholic most often is translated into English as universal. And so when we started saying the Apostles' Creed together, some of you might remember, we were using the word universal. And then with a little bit of explanation, we, we switched to using the word that's actually in the creed, which is Catholic. Uh, so 
unless that word Catholic is capitalized and preceded by the word Roman, we just mean universal. Okay, we don't mean the Roman Catholic Church. So the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now understand this too, that's not two separate ideas in the creed. It's not two phrases, that's one phrase. So let's just take those phrases, separate them, and break them down a little bit. So the Holy Catholic Church. This is the reality. Uh, one of the ways I say this from up here is I'll say the Big C Church. And what I mean by that is uh, the reality that all over the world in different languages, different contexts, with definitely different styles, there are people who we have more in common with than you have in common with people in your biological family. Right? There are people like us, brothers and sisters, who are participating in the life of the, the community that we know as the Trinity by living in the community of the church. And so they're preaching the word of God, they're singing to God, they're breaking communion bread, they're enjoying the God of our salvation like we do every week. Now in order to live in the here and the now of the universality of the church, right? God has given us a vision for the beauty of it that's going to be at the end of time. Uh, we get a glimpse of this in Revelation 7, and, and here's what it says. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this is a vision, right, of that phrase, the Holy Catholic Church, the church universal. There's no mention of a building. There's no mention of a location. But this is all those who have trusted in Jesus over all time, his church. Now, one of the things that we, we have to wrestle with uh, having this big vision is that part of that vision, and when we get to the local church, this is, this is what this means, is that all believers over all time, the church of Jesus Christ is his bodily presence on the earth. That's a, that's a kind of a like, whoa, hold on. In our stream of Christianity, we get kind of freaked out by that. But, but that's what the scripture has taught us. That's what church over the, the big C church over history has taught us, that we are the presence of Christ in the world, participating with the life of the Trinity here and now in the world. And so having this big vision lets us release the lie, and hear me on this, that we are in any way whatsoever in any kind of competition with any other church. We're not, right? Or that we need to be the only church to reach our community. I, I want you to know that that idea in me died about 15 years ago. I was part of a church plant, and I realized, holy cow, we cannot even remotely reach all the people in our neighborhood, let alone our city. Praise God for other church plants. You, you should know this, but there is an Alliance church plant that is getting set to start off in Columbia, right? not far from here. Praise God for that, both as an Alliance and, you know, church member pastor, but also just as a member of the body of Christ. Nothing reaches a community like planting more churches, like more presence of the Holy Catholic Universal Church in a community, right? So we praise God for that. So that's the idea of the Holy Catholic Church, the, the universal church over all time. But the phrase doesn't stop there. It moves on and talks about the local expression of that in the communion of saints. 
So you have this big church universal that has nothing to do with walls or buildings or meeting spaces. It has to do with all Christians everywhere across all time and locations. But then the creed begins to talk about the communion of saints or what we might call the local church, right? There's a church universal and there's the church local. So what is the local church? Well, here is a simple definition I find pretty helpful. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ. Now, hear that, right? We affirm and oversee one another's membership in the body. What does that mean? That means as we live together in real community, we begin to see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in one another, and one another, we, we hold each other accountable to that. Now, that's why the creed is so beautiful, right? If I see you walking in a way that denies the things that I know you said last Sunday in the creed, then I'm able to come alongside you and say, brother, sister, like this isn't what you said you believe. Let's come back to uh, the gospel, right? We, we can hold one another's membership, account for one another's membership. So the local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name, to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances, or baptism and communion would be the ordinances that we would celebrate here. So that's helpful, but then the next question is, how do we actually do that? What does that look like in day-to-day life? Well, in the New Testament, there are 59 one another's. Uh, I'm not going to read all of them. I was tempted, but I'm not going to read all of them here. But here's what some of these look like, Okay. Love one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another. At at some point in your life as a church member, you should experience both sides of all of these. You should experience being helped and helping, being encouraged and encouraging, right? Those are the pretty easy sounding ones. They're nice sounding. Love one another. Encourage each other. We like that. Right? They sound nice, but we also get these ones too. Forgive one another. Uh-oh. That means you got to have something to forgive. Right? Submit to one another. Ooh. That's a bad word. Okay? Commit to one another. Rearrange your life around this community of believers. Oh, we don't want to hear that. Build trust with one another, which means what? You have to be willing to step out And you can't build trust without the risk that that trust is going to be broken. These ones actually take more effort. They feel dangerous to us, partly because of the air we breathe in our current cultural moment, but also because they require us to risk as part of the community. Right? Now here's where, how I want to respond to this reality. Right? Praise God that there are no perfect churches. Right? Because if there were, the question I ask myself is, where in the world would I go? Right? My love for this church grows by the day. Right? I've been here six years. I love it now more now than when I got here. Uh, but we ain't perfect, right? You should be. No, we're not, Pastor. We're not. Okay? We're not. But it's the willingness to push further into the imperfection that makes it safe and beautiful for us. Okay? I want to use a metaphor from a marriage because I think this will help a lot. 
Um, I didn't tell my wife I was going to tell the story, and she's watching on the live stream today. So, right? I'm free until I get home. This is also true, though. And I, and I want to just say this to those of you that are single, not married, or uh, you know, whatever, whatever life stage, um, this is also true for other kinds of relationships, any kind of relationship. This isn't just true for marriage relationships. It's just that in my world, my marriage relationship is also my best friend. Okay, So I've been thinking about this over the last couple of years off and on, and Amy and I have had multiple conversations about this, just kind of offhand over the last few months. Uh, we've been a couple since 2001. We've been married for 16 years, right? So what does that mean? Well, we've had a lot of arguments, a lot of them. Right? And I'm going to say maybe 65% are my fault. I'll own that. Okay? Here's what I've noticed as I think about marriage from 16 years in. I've noticed that what has shifted in me recently, I, I can't put a finger on Lynn, in my striving for good relationship with my wife, is that I have grown to the point in our relationship where I am no longer a, a fearful of being my full self with her even in those difficult moments. I'm no longer willing to let my fear of her reaction change my response to her, okay? Now, here's what I mean. It used to be that when, not if, but when one of us got really, like, big mad, you know what I'm talking about, like, really mad in an argument, uh, to the point where, like, your, your reasoning brain shuts off and you just go into fight or flight, that mad that we've all been in an argument, uh, one or the other of us might say something like, hey, you're making me really angry right now. And that would kind of be like an ultimatum to not be able to go any further into that discussion. And many times it doesn't actually get resolved. All the married people in the room know that I'm not lying when I say it's not a bunch of different arguments. It's the same argument just for like 10 years. Or fit, right? See, all. That's true. Okay? But here's what I've started to notice in myself now, now that I'm, I'm more willing to say in those moments, like, it's okay, I'm not afraid of you being angry. And, and that's not to provoke more conflict in the good moments. Sometimes, sure. Well, what I mean by that is we have built up such deep trust, mutual respect, that I'm willing to walk into the middle of her imperfection, and she's mine as well, because I know, right, we're saying to the other person, I've built such deep trust with you that I'm willing to walk into the middle of your imperfection because I know that you're willing to walk into the middle of mine as well. My history with my wife is a history of her forgiveness over deeply hurtful things. So we have a foundation of that. This just happened last week. We had a long, hard week. Some of you know our two-year-old had an appendectomy, so we were in the hospital for a couple days. Uh, she's doing much better now. Uh, we had a long, hard week. We're both tired. I think we were probably hungry, too. We got into it over, I don't even remember, because that's how a lot of arguments work. And we had this moment where we actually lived into the vows that we made to one another. And what came out on the other side of that was a beautiful moment of reconciliation and literal embrace. Right? We both apologized. It was like she walked up to me, and as the words, I'm sorry, were about to come out of my mouth, she said it first, and I said, me too. And we just hugged, and we apologized. And we both realize we cannot live the life that God has called us to live without each other. That, right, that happened this week. And I want you to know that that kind of relationship, to get to that level of relationship, is work. It is work. It is hard. Everything in my flesh, all of my pride, right, wants to just run away from that because it's easier. 
but I will not experience the life of the Trinity that God has called us into in the way that God has for me if I run away. And this is just a little picture of what God intended for us when he gave us the communion of saints. Right? Marriage is a beautiful institution that God has given us, but it will not exist in eternity. Our relationships here are a shadow of what's coming. That's why I use that as an example. Some of you in here have these deep kinds of friendships in this church, and praise God for that. Some of you have those kind of deep friendships with other Christians in your life, and praise God for that. Were you willing to enter into those difficult situations? But some of us in here, maybe online uh, watching as well, you don't. And so what I want to invite you into is to really ponder if you don't desire that kind of communion in your life. I, I want to challenge you that you do, actually, down in the deepest part of who you are. You want that kind of communion with another person or with a group of people or, or a couple people. And so the invitation is first to come to Jesus and then dive deep into the communion of saints as part of the local church, right? Practice the one another's. Is it dangerous? Have I been hurt by? Yes. Some of you may have been hurt by churches in the past, but we already established churches ain't perfect, right? And if they were, as soon as we showed up, they wouldn't be anymore. Okay. So dive deep into the communion of saints. So let me just tell you a couple simple stories to close of people in our church uh, who didn't re even realize they were giving great examples of what we're talking about here. Uh, so some of you will know who these are. These are nothing but good examples. So no, everybody's fidgeting now. Oh, no. The first is just someone who has uh, been coming to our church for a while, serving or they come to our church for a little while, emailed me and asked me, uh, can I come on Friday night small group? Didn't sign up. I said, yeah, of course. Please come. Uh, came Friday and they made a point of asking everyone's name at the small group. Why? And I, Because they want, they want to get to know who they're in communion with. I noticed also this person was writing down prayer requests as we were talking about the things going on in our lives. Again, this is just a small picture of... of practicing stepping fully into the communion of saints, wanting to get to know others, but then also being willing, because this person did this, to share what's going on in your life. And so this opens you up then to people asking you about your life and following up. This is practicing, the one another's are practicing what we say we believe, the communion of saints. That's just a small example. Another example, a few weeks ago, uh, one of our folks came on Sunday morning, early, when I greeted her, I could tell something was off. But as I typically do, I said, how's it going? And as we began to talk, she just kind of broke down into tears, right? So as we began to unpack, uh, there had been something going on in her work life. She was fearful it would go really, really wrong. And so she was, you know, as we all do, kind of going through what's the worst case scenario. Am I going to lose my job? What's going on? And so just really had a difficult morning. And so we just worked through it. We prayed together. But what she said to me as we wrapped up our conversation was just, I think, a shining example of the idea of what, behind what we're talking about today. She looked at me and she just said, I really don't want to be here today. I really just don't want to be here today. But I know that I need to be around my brothers and sisters and be in community. So I made the choice to come. Right? Now that, I, I can't remember the last time I was so encouraged as a pastor. Like somebody saying, I really didn't want to come. But I'm here anyway. 
That's living into the words we've been saying. I believe in the communion of saints. In that moment, she was displaying that she really did believe that, right? Now, I've been there too. I can't think of a Sunday in this church when I've thought that, but for sure in other churches that I've been, I thought, I really do not want to go to church today, right? And so I, I, I don't want to be here, but since I believe in the communion of saints, I'm here. If you want to experience the life of, of the Trinity that God has for you, community is non-negotiable. Now, hear, don't hear me being legalistic, right? My family is not here today because we've got medical stuff going on. Our little one's recovering. My wife is home with her. So there's grace. Those of you who have ever texted me or called me and said, hey, I'm not going to make it today, I hope that what you got back was like, oh, man, great. Uh, I, I, not great, but I hope I'll see you soon. No worries. So it's not legalism. We're not saying that. But is your life arranged around the reality of belief in the communion of saints? And so here's my simple invitation to you this morning. It's to invite you to consider where are you practicing the words that you have been saying for a few weeks now? Where and how are you practicing that you believe in both the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints? Right? It doesn't have to be, and I want you to hear this, some of us struggle with this. It does not have to be in some officially sanctioned church event or program. It doesn't. Although those are generally really good places to practice community or to start living in community, it doesn't have to be in a church event or program. But you do need community. And I think deep down we all know it. <clears throat> so if you're not currently practicing this reality, the next question is how will you start? What will that look like for you? Is it a Hey, you want to go to lunch after church today? Is it a phone call? Is it prayer on Wednesday morning? Is it Friday small group? It can be anything. Is it, hey, do you need any help with whatever you know that person's going through? But get into community with somebody or a group of a small group of people. Practice the one another's so that you can begin to more fully walk into who God has made you to be, which is in his image, which is part of a community of love. So let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, this creed that reminds us of these really ancient and pretty timeless truths. And I just pray for those of us today who maybe are feeling like we're walking alone, that we would just do everything in our power and then leave it up to you and the community around us uh, to enter into those spaces where we can connect and where we can begin to walk in the communion of saints. We ask you to bless the rest of our time this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.